Let's continue praying together. Father, we've asked you to bless the ministry of the Word to our hearts. Even as we open our hearts by faith, we also recognize that your Spirit needs to do a work in us. The truth that is the Old and the New Testament before us can only be spiritually discerned. The natural man does not receive the things of God, the Apostle Paul said. But they are spiritually discerned. That means we need your presence with us in order that we may see what we ought to see, hear what we need to hear, and then be positioned to respond in obedience. We have already prayed through the text of James 1 that we would be doers of the Word and not hearers only. So as we continue to pray for Your blessing, for Your presence, for Your help and assistance, how thankful we are that You have promised it to us. Would You bring encouragement to those who are just weary Life has worn them out, and the pressure that they live under daily has just squelched, if not all but quenched, the flame of love in their hearts, love for you, even love for other people. There's little to no joy left within them this morning. Hope flickers. It's so faint at this point, Lord God, that they have been saying, I'm not even sure if I can go on or why I should go on. Would you stand before them this morning and remind them that they are eternally loved, that despite their weakness, despite their sin against you, Your love for them is greater than they can imagine, and your mercy is greater than their misery, and your grace is greater than their guilt. Father, would you move into this place now by the presence of your Holy Spirit and just speak words of life and hope, of love and peace. And bring about the kind of change within us that all of us are desperate for. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I was dismayed to read this week that for years, and I'm quoting from an article at webmd.com, many microwave popcorn bags used perfluorooctanoic acid. Is that not one of your worst fears, that PFOA would show up in your food? Anyhow, it was used in microwave popcorn bags to prevent the kernels from sticking. But after it was linked to some cancers, the FDA banned it. Scientists are concerned that the chemicals used in their place may not be safe either. What's more, research shows that an ingredient in artificial butter may lead to breathing problems. Go organic or use an air popper or the stovetop 
and add your own flavors. And I'm thinking, I've consumed so much popcorn in my life, my days are certainly numbered. And even that little tag at the end, add your own flavors, I'm thinking, what flavors would I add? How can I be sure that they don't have the PFOA uh, killer in it or, or something else? Go organic? Well, that's been the rage for a number of years, hasn't it? And I actually have no problem with organic. It's like most things. We, the pendulum tends to swing to one extreme and, and then moderates a little bit, kind of like pumpkin spice waiting for that to moderate a little bit. But the whole concept of, of organic, uh, I actually think is a good thing. Because the term itself just means developing naturally. We don't add stuff to it. We don't take away stuff. We just kind of let it grow. And I would even say, as a person who believes the testimony of Scripture, as God created it, I think that's a good thing. There's nothing synthetic, nothing forced or contrived in the process of development. And, you know, one of the things that Jesus is teaching us through these parables is that the kingdom of God has a certain organic quality to it where there are things that God has built into His system, designed into it, that whether you participate or not, it's just going to happen. And I want the little term organic to just kind of register a place in your heart and in your mind as we look at the next set of parables from Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. So please go ahead and open your Bibles there, and we're going to read through a portion of the Scriptures together as we consider two, a couple of parables that, that Mark just puts together here that have to do with a lamp or light that shines and seed that grows. So let's begin reading in Mark 4, and if you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, you can look at what's printed on the screen, and this isn't the sum total of our text for the morning, but it's a portion of it, and we'll come to the other parts in time. Mark 4, verse 21, and he said to them, that is Jesus, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Let's pause there. We'll continue all the way through verse 34 here because I think all of these things fit together rather nicely. But here's the first truth that we need to consider this morning. The Word of Christ is light that shines. It was designed that way, intended by Him. And in these first several verses, you're seeing that Jesus and His gospel are like this lamp that's brought into the world. Did you catch that as we read through this? There are certain things about a lamp that are obvious to us. And so, if, if you consider some of the other passages that parallel this text, one of those would be Matthew 5, where Jesus even says to people like us, you are the light of the world. 
A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The only reason that you and I could possibly be a light for Jesus is that He is the ultimate light and has given that light to us, put it in us. Mark doesn't use all of the proverb or the teaching that Jesus included with Matthew's account, but there are still some truths here that are very important for us. Jesus is the great light. He even said in John's gospel, didn't he, I am the light of the world. So you'll never be a light in and of yourself. Your religious commitment, your personal zeal, that's not the light. The light is Jesus. The light is His Word. And as it is dwelling in us and we testify to that, then we illuminate the world as He intended. Now notice a couple of things about the the, the parable uh, back in in Matthew 4. Um, If you look at verses or in, in Mark 4, if you look at verses 21 through 25, you, you see Jesus making a reference to a couple of things that are irrational, as I would just characterize it. It's an irrational use of a lamp. You would not light a candle and stick it under a, a bushel basket. Uh, we had some of those growing up. Uh, they were used in the South for peaches more than they were any other fruit, but you know, you've seen them. You probably have some in your house. A, a basket that's designed to carry a, a supply of fruit. And it would be irrational for you to light a candle and then just put a basket over the top. Likewise, you would not, you would not light a, a lamp and then stick it under your bed. No, the intended use of a lamp is that it is lit and then put on a lampstand, is what Jesus says here, or a candlestick. The, the point is the lamp is placed in a prominent place so that it can do what it was designed to do. Now, did you notice verse 22? Nothing is hidden or secret. Those two words, hidden and secret, are synonyms for what is concealed. But Jesus goes on to say, except to be made manifest or to come to light. And Christ's intention is being clearly set before us that He delights to reveal His truth. He doesn't play a game of cat and mouse. Although the Lord seems to have designed that that His word, like great treasure, be hidden for a time, it is with a view that it might be discovered uncovered, revealed, made manifest so that people can rejoice in finding the treasure. You know, when Jesus preaches and teaches, He is illuminating our world in order that we may discover precious truth, the truth that comes from God. That's what ties into our mission as being lights in this world. We preach and teach here each Lord's Day. We'll openly worship in the park this summer in order that we might be like a lampstand where the light that is Christ, the light that is His Word, may be prominently displayed. That light shines. Now look at verses 23 through 25, because again, Jesus comes back to this word of exhortation, and, and we've been seeing this in Mark 4 repeatedly. If you've been with us the last several weeks, you, you may feel like, I think I've heard this before. Yes, you have. And Mark repeats it, because Jesus repeated it. And there are, first of all, words of command. Jesus says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Pay attention, Jesus is saying. Pay attention to what you hear. Now, notice there's a word of promise. There's a word of promise in verse 24. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, 
and still more will be added to you. And then a word of warning. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, I think there's promise and warning in these two verses, so let me just explain it very quickly. I think the image is this. The measure or measuring device that you use, if you bring a little thimble size cup to Jesus and say, could I have a portion of your truth? Well, that's what you're going to get. But if you show up and and you've got a 55-gallon drum, because that's the biggest container you could find, and you say by faith, oh, Lord Jesus, would you just fill this up? Well, that's exactly what he's going to do. This is vividly illustrated for us in this larger context. Some of you may not have been able to be here last week or, or prior to that, but you know the, the opposing party, the antagonist in this gospel story as it's unfolding is represented by the scribes and Pharisees. They actually become a, a vivid illustration of a small measure because they're not coming to Jesus saying, teach us tell us, reveal truth. As a matter of fact, um, and I have to be careful because it's not stated in the text, but I almost feel like they've, they've actually capped their little measuring device because they're not interested in learning. And remember the things that they've done? They've been accusing Jesus of exercising authority that's not his. Remember how they said back in chapter two, only God has authority to forgive sins. It's not right what this man does. They've attacked his teaching. They've actually been trying to steer people away from him, even accusing him of being being under the power of Beelzebul as he casts out demons, saying that he's possessed by a demon. They're not bringing any kind of measuring device to him saying, give us understanding, give us the light of your truth. Rather, they've come to quench the light. And so when Jesus says in this text, For the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away because they are unwilling to receive the truth that Jesus presents to them and offers because they reject all of that, even the little bit of spiritual light that they've had to this point, and by that I would think he he probably is making reference to their knowledge of the Old Testament, that's just going to be taken away. They're going to become spiritually darker and darker in their souls. What What a strong warning. It may be that some of you grew up in a, in a home that taught you the gospel. It's possible that if you harden your heart against it long enough that the Spirit of God will stop speaking to you, that it will stop making sense to you, that you'll reach a place where you will absolutely reject it. That's, that's the warning that Jesus is issuing. Don't let that happen. Be careful how you hear. But if day by day you come and you bring that measuring device in your soul and you say, oh God, Teach me, tell me, Jesus, speak to me. Day by day, he will. So that even when your 55-gallon drum is full, he's gonna see that you get more because he knows you've come in humility and faith that you have come eager to hear. One author writes, the degree to which one hears the parable, specifically, or the word of God, more broadly speaking, will determine the measure of one's understanding. You see, again, it's not a matter of high IQ. It's a matter of desire. How hungry for God's word are you? Are you hungry enough where daily you're coming to the cupboard or pantry of truth, as it were, saying, God, feed me? Are you content for a little snack now and then? 
We talk often in our household that, I mean, we, several of us love salty snacks, and we love those little cheese crackers, whether it be generic or the name brand. I mean, I love them. I'll just be the first to, to admit it. But you know what? That's not actually great food to, to really build health and strength and sustain a, uh, a strenuous lifestyle, is it? And I think sometimes, spiritually speaking, we're content with a few little cheese crackers. And Jesus has a banquet prepared any time of the day or night for you. He would never just set a few little crackers in front of you and say, make do, I'll get back with you on Thursday. No, he's like, come, eat. Come, eat. Be careful how you listen. If you have ears to hear, hear. That's the word that Jesus puts before us. So what kind of measure are you bringing here on Sundays? Say, I haven't thought about it. Well, you should. Do you come eagerly or do you come just out of a sense of duty? Well, you know, I've, I've been taught all my life that you should go to church on Sunday. Oh, that, that has truth in it. But why you come and how you come is more important even than that you just show up. There's much to be gained by the way you hear the word of Christ. His word is a light, a lamp um, that shines. And he has given light that you would not walk in darkness. Now let's press on in this passage. Look at verses 26 to 29. Mark 4, verses 26 to 29. And he said, again, here's another parable coming. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Well, here's our second big point. The word is seed that grows. You know, there's powerful life in a seed isn't there? Some of you can't wait for spring to come, the soil to get warm enough because you've got flowers, you've got vegetables, you've got herbs that need to get in the ground, and some of those things you're actually going to start from seed. And if you think about it, the next time you tear open a little packet of seeds and you start putting one or two in, in rows, or even if you just kind of scatter, scatter them like you might in a little wildflower patch that, that you want to sow, I mean, it's almost absurd, isn't it? that you actually toss a little something in the ground that's going to produce something that is either much larger or provides much more nourishment than that one little seed in and of itself could. It's actually staggering. There's power, powerful life in that seed. Verse 27, it sprouts and grows. Verse 28, the earth produces by itself is what Jesus says. And that little word, uh, we, we have a, a similar one in our English language, automatic. It just happens in and of itself, of its own accord. One author writes, it is the seed that bears the element of life and such is present and energized because of God. Here we have a parable of how God's word is divinely energized in the human heart. It does not need other elements such as heat and moisture. These by themselves would not avail to bring forth fruit without the living seed. There's powerful life in that seed. 
Now, go over a little, a little deeper into the New Testament to 1 Corinthians 3, verses 4 through 6, and I want you to see uh, a, another vivid illustration of this. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing actually to a group of believers who are fighting about personalities. They, they've kind of created a little fan base for certain preachers who had come through Corinth. Paul is one of them. Apollos was another mighty preacher of the gospel in that first century. The apostle Peter had made his way through Corinth, and some of them were big fans of Peter. And then you actually had a fourth group who said, you know, we're not fans of Paul or Peter or Apollos per se, we're followers of Jesus. But again, the problem is they're trying to make Jesus their mascot, and Jesus is never a mascot. And Jesus is not interested in, in segregating or dividing ourselves into little party lines within the church. And so Paul is trying to correct that. And he writes them a letter. And one of the things that he says in that letter to tear down these artificial divisions that they've established, because, you know, some of them say, well, I'd much prefer to hear Apollos preach. And somebody else says, well, I like Peter. And then you have the Paul people. And then, again, the Jesus party. Listen to what Paul says. For one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? It's natural to us to pick a team, to wear the jersey. Sometimes we even try to do that in the church, don't we? But then look at verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. And then listen to this. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Why? Because God has put the power in the seed. And we sometimes think, and, and I get it. I mean, there, you can see this in Scripture. You've experienced in life. When the Holy Spirit fills a person, they are powerful in a certain way, but they do not possess the inherent power in life that the Word of God, the seed of God has. And at the end of the day, the most powerful preacher or teacher or author you've ever heard or read or, or watched live is only a servant It'd be like going, can I use a sports analogy again? I hope this is good. I, I didn't plan this out, but it's occurring to me while I'm saying this. It'd be like you going to, the, to watch a jazz game, and you should be there for the team and the game, but because you always sit in a particular section, you've gotten to know, you know one of the attendants who's there. And, and, and you actually make a jersey you know, that says, I'm one of Fred's people, and I sit in section you know, 212. And we're Fred. We're Fredites here. And, and you try to develop this following, and a few other people join you, and, you know, word gets out that there's kind of this little subculture at jazz games that's being created. And, I mean, you go, and you never even wear a jazz jersey anymore, and you're not getting excited about Donovan Mitchell and, you know, the, the rest of the team, but you're excited about Fred. <laughs> Who is Fred? He's a servant. That's the point that Paul is desperate to make. You've, you've gotten so focused on the servants of the gospel, you've lost sight of how glorious and powerful this truth is. And the fact that it is God who gives the growth. Another author writes, the total organic situation must be appreciated. 
Emphasis falls not merely upon the harvest, which is assured, but upon the seed and its growth as well. The seed which is sown is the authoritative proclamation of Jesus, and it does not prove barren. There's power in the Word. Second thought from this little section, there's an exciting opportunity for the sower. Look again at the text. Look at what he does. Verse 26, he scatters. And then I think this is really interesting, kind of neat. Verse 27, he sleeps and rises night and day. That is, he goes about the ordinary business of life. You know, there are times where even as a servant of God, it is good and right and holy for you to sleep, whether it be through the night or sometimes even take a nap. We do that because we come to the end of our strength, don't we? But even when we're sleeping, God's work continues. Again, because the the ultimate power is not in you and me. It's in the Word. It's in God's purpose. And then look at verse 29. Harvest. Harvest comes, and that's the time to put in the sickle. Now, even wrapping Paul's words from 1 Corinthians into this, it's God who's giving the increase, but but he's actually going to position some of his servants to be in the field at that particular moment. We're seeing some of that right now, aren't we? I've known Eric a relatively brief period of time, but God was at work long before and using the the gospel ministry and service of his parents to point him to Jesus. There have been other pastors and teachers along the way and people who've spoken into Eric's life. So I, I have the privilege of being the guy in the baptistry with him today, but at the end of the day, who gets the glory and the credit for that? God. Go to John's gospel. And I'm having you turn to a few other places, uh, maybe even a little more than I usually do. But I, but I was struck by this uh, as I read this, that this really is an illustration, kind of all wrapped into one little brief account. In John 4, um, th- verses 31 to 42, I think this helps us see the exciting opportunity before the sower. But we're going to see it through Jesus. Let me set this up. Um, In John 4, Jesus makes a point to stop at a particular well in the heat of the day, and there he encounters the Samaritan woman. She's an outcast. First of all, she's a Samaritan. Those were people that the Jews did not associate with. Second of all, if you know this story, you know that when Jesus encounters her and begins to talk, he says to her, go go call your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And then he says... You are exactly right. You've had five husbands, and the one you now live with is not your husband. And that's where she really, you know, perks up and is like, oh, I perceive that you are a prophet. A little understatement there. So they have this glorious conversation where he shares with her, if you knew who I was, you would ask, for, you would ask a drink from me, and you would never thirst again. Which, again, she's come to the well to draw water in the middle of the day. And she's, she wants this water. Well, he's not talking about physical water. He's talking about spiritual water. And as the story unfolds, she responds in faith. Now, after she uh, and, and the Lord finished this conversation, the disciples return to him, and they begin to ask some questions, and they're a little confused, not really tracking with him. And verse 31 says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And again, the disciples are thinking physically and literally. So they say to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? 
Like, did, did somebody bring him a, a sandwich? Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish, get this, his work. This is the second person of the Trinity, but he, he is serving in the realities of the kinds of truths that we're talking about today. It's, it's the Father's work, verse 35. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. That is, they're ready to go. The sickle needs to be put in right now. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. There you have it again. We're all in partnership in this thing. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Now look at verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. That's like her seed that she just went back into the neighborhood and started scattering it. And what, what was the seed that she scattered? Well, here it is. John quotes it. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Oh, can you imagine? What, what was he preaching and teaching in those two days? Whatever it was, here is the, the next wave of harvest, verse 41. Many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Do you see how the power is in the word? The power is in the seed. And whether it be Jesus who shares it privately, as he did with the Samaritan woman, even wrapping the gospel message in terms of, I have living water to offer you. Or the power of the seed, as it was wrapped in the testimony of the Samaritan woman who goes back and says, you got to come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Or whether it be the two days of ministry in their community where, again, he's giving out the word. That seed takes root in the soil of fertile ground, ground prepared by God, and it puts down roots and it begins to bear a mighty harvest of faith. Now, that's the exciting opportunity for the sower. And so with these parables where Jesus continues to remind us that we are the seed scatterers, he wraps all of that with this exciting opportunity and the promise that there's powerful life in the seed. Well, that brings us to the third thing that I want you to see in this particular portion. And there is a staggering promise for the harvest. It really is spectacular. Now, in verses 30 and 34... Um, Read that with me, please. Jesus speaks again. He said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like the grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. It's not only going to produce more mustard, but it's going to become like this own little ecosystem where life thrives in this enormous plant. I think this runs parallel uh, to some of the other parables that Jesus told. That's why Mark includes it here. So look at verse 33. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. 
So he's just loading them up with truth, with understanding. And yes, he's telling stories. And sadly, the scribes and Pharisees and others who've been rejecting him, who've moved out of the category of skepticism to cynicism, because they're no longer willing to accept Jesus. It's getting darker and darker for them and their understanding. But for the disciples who come and say, what does this mean? Tell, explain that parable to us. They, they brought their little measuring device, and Jesus fills it up with understanding. As the word is preached, more people are believing and coming to Jesus. And again, this is a parable that is surprising and staggering to us when we consider that the mustard seed, which is a tiny little seed, could turn into such a fruitful tree, a place where life thrives. I want to share with you something that comes out of a, a commentary I've been using that I find it really helpful, and, and I'm, it's a little bit of a shift for us. So I have a slide that I hope will illustrate some of this. Uh, give, you, give you a little picture here. But even in the larger context, as we come to a conclusion here and we step back and we kind of need to see the big picture here, there are different groups that Jesus has encountered to this point who are trying to bring about a spiritual kingdom. Some would even say, we want to bring in the kingdom of God. Some would say, we want to see a a profound influence of our religion on the society. But everybody's kind of got their own little spin on it. And I want you to listen to how this author describes the efforts of several different groups and how how they not only contrast with what Jesus is stating, but they run contrary or counter to it. The Zealots, who were a, a Jewish faction that combined the theology of the Pharisees with the military aspirations of the, the Jewish freedom fighters, I mean, this was a politically active, militarily aggressive group with growing influence in this particular day. They tried to force the kingdom on stage by revolution. Apocalypticism hoped by careful observations and reckonings to portend the future. That is, people who say, oh, there's going to be something big coming, and they're they're kind of the uh, conspiracy theorists even in our day and age, and, and, you know, they're always looking like, Big stuff's going to happen. You better be, better be ready. Better be run, ready to run to the mountains. Got your guns, got your food supply, all of that, you know? Well, there's always been an, an apocalyptic uh, contingency in the human population. And they, so they pay attention to all the, the signs. That's the second group. Third group, the Pharisees believe that the emergence of the kingdom could be, and I love this commentator's term, could be midwifed by scrupulous legal observance. They're just saying obedience to Old Testament law is the way we're going to bring in the kingdom. The parable of the growing seed warns against, and and here's what I hope will be helpful for you. The parable of the growing seed warns against wedding the coming of the kingdom to forecast projections, timetables, and strategies. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus sunders or severs all attempts to capture him and his gospel in categories, formulas, and agendas. And here's here's what I want you to, to sit up and pay attention to. The faith that Jesus requires of the disciples is to sleep and rise in humble confidence that God has invaded this troubled world not with four categories like that, or not, as this author says, with a crusade, 
but with a seed. An imperceptible fifth category that will grow into a fruitful harvest. That's what he's given you. We're going to have various roles and positions and opportunities in the life of our culture. But make no mistake that in our generation, the wedding of religion and military preparation, like the zealots, is not what God intends for bringing in the kingdom. It's not even what he needs to spread the gospel around the world. And even in Mark's day, as he was writing this, so you had the apocalyptics. Oh, the world's going to come to an end. We better be ready. Better be prepared. Don't be caught unprepared. I do believe the world is going to come to an end. But the preppers then and the preppers now were not the means that God had ordained for spreading the good news. And in the same way that you had the, the zealous and righteous, humanly speaking, Pharisees and scribes and other, other religious powers, God didn't choose them to spread the light of Christ. He actually loaded the power into the seed of the word and then entrusts the seed to us and says, go scatter. I'm getting the soil ready. I've put power in the seed. I'm going to make sure the harvest comes. So scatter seed and then keep your sickle ready. And I do believe, I love this picture, a young girl standing in a, a field that's ripe for harvest. I hope these last two pictures will be vivid for you. Because I know some of you struggle with feeling inadequate to the task. Some of you are, are just trying to get up the, the nerve and the courage to take that first step to just tell somebody else about Jesus. That's going to be a huge moment for you. But when you do, when you scatter seed, do you realize what you just turned loose? And you know what? That's what guards our hearts against that frustration. We've all felt it. I feel it. That frustration of like, oh, I made such a mess of it. I, I wanted to give them the gospel. And I couldn't even remember John 3.16. Known it all my life. I said something so stupid. Okay, go back and, you know, practice that again, but know that the, the power is not in your perfect presentation. What did the Samaritan woman say to them? Come see a man that told me everything I ever did. That's where it started. And you know what? If, if this week, if some of you have the opportunity to say to somebody, I just want to tell you what Jesus did for me. And then you start sharing how he, he changed you, and you were a mess, and you were this and that and the other, but... And you're not perfect now, but here's what he's doing. Oh, you just turned loose the seed. And what a harvest is going to come. This even adds more joy and exhilaration and even motivation to other passages. Some of you would know this well, but in Matthew's gospel, he records the words of Jesus saying to his disciples, the harvest is plenteous, the laborers are few. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There's a whole lot we've covered today, isn't there? 
Just a couple of concluding questions. First of all, what kind of listener are you? Are you like a scribe who's actually put a lid on whatever measuring container you've brought? Have you been content to just bring Jesus a little thimble, fill up my thimble? Or are you looking around for the 55-gallon drum saying, Jesus, I want to know everything? Which is kind of humorous that a finite creature would say, tell me everything that an infinite God knows and is. You're going to need more than a 55-gallon drum. Are you a good listener? Are you a faithful listener? And then secondly, are you sowing? Are you scattering? Some of you would have to say, I'm not really doing it. Well, start, because you've got powerful seed. It may be a formal presentation. I mean, we actually have some gospel literature on the table. Take it with you and, and pass those little booklets out, tracks. We've got a number of printed literature. Tell people your story. I still think that's one of the most effective ways to do it. But just start scattering. Just start scattering. You could even take some of those, and we have a new batch of invitations. It, it, it just is a little printed piece of paper, full color, hope for the new year. I think that's what it says. Um, I keep a stack of these with me, and I just pass them out randomly when I'm out and about. Um, God has used little touches like that to bring people to hear the gospel. Are you scattering seed? Well, in our community groups this week, we'll have opportunity to discuss even more of how this passage comes to bear on our lives. But we'll leave it there for the moment. I'll ask you to pray with me, please. Father, how thankful we are that you have given us your truth. You've given us your word. There's life and light in this word. Your word is described as a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Your word is described as being powerful and able to pierce to the deepest places of our existence where soul and spirit come together. Your word convicts us of our sin, but it also persuades us that Jesus Christ is the only hope of deliverance from sin and the only hope for life now and life to come. Thank you. We ask that you would cause us to be good hearers, that you would even expand our desire to know more, to receive more. Let no one here be content with what they possess. And let no one here put a cap or a lid over it, as it were, and say, nope, I don't, I don't even want to hear more of this. Oh, Lord God, be merciful to that one who's on the, on the brink of disbelief that would destroy their soul. But as we hear, give us light. As we hear, give us life. As we here expand our capacity to know and understand and ultimately to love and serve you with greater capacity. And then, Father, I pray that as we, as we dip into this bag of seed and begin to scatter it, would you just show us what you mean? Would you encourage our little faith as we see the seed take root and sprout? until the day that the final harvest comes in and with great joy 
we're just putting the sickle in, as this little parable says, knowing that you have given the increase. So seal this word to our hearts today. Change us by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.